and I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 21st edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. Today, our topic is How Good Lawyers Survive Bad Times. What a great name for a book, Jim. It's such a great name that Jim and I, along with our friend and renowned technologist Ross Codner, actually wrote that book, which will be published by the American Bar Association within the next 30 days. It has been a miserable economy for lawyers. If you want the dismal statistics, as of July 5th, 2009, over 4,000 lawyers and 6,700 staffers have been laid off. Those statistics come from Law Shucks Layoff Tracker. It sure has been grim. Sharon Ross and I wrote How Good Lawyers Survive Bad Times in a tips format, with Sharon and I covering financial, marketing, and management tips, and Ross covering technology tips. We are very honored today to have Ross Codner with us as our special guest. Ross Codner is a person whose name is probably familiar to most anybody with any interest in legal technology. He's the president and co-founder of MicroLaw, Inc., a 20-plus year old Milwaukee, Wisconsin-based legal technology consultancy and does legal automation for law firms. Ross, we're happy to welcome you. And hey, Ross, thanks for joining us. This is really great that we can all three get together. Well, thanks, guys, for inviting me. I'm really pleased to be here today and especially to talk about this topic that that the three of us in particular, as we've been writing our, our book, How Good Lawyers Survive Bad Times, have been talking about and thrashing through the issues for several months. So looking forward to chatting with you and hopefully imparting some information that will be valuable for folks that are facing these tough times. Ross, my first question is what do you think are the core minimally essential software systems a new small practice absolutely must have if starting up in these challenging times? Well, Jim, that's a great question, and it's and it's a question that I, I think is actually no different now than than the same than the answer to the question would have been a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago because it's in my mind always been consistent. But in particular, I think that what it comes down to is sort of the four legs of a technology stool that that every practice, no matter what size, whether a new solo practitioner or a, an existing 10-lawyer firm that wants to revamp its use of technology or a small corporate legal department should have. And that is, number one, the most obvious thing is document generation. You've got to be able to crank out the words. And for many firms today, that, that could be a an approach that I've long called word processing ambidextrous or being WPA, which really means a combination of primarily being centered around Microsoft Word and, and in its much improved 2007 edition, uh, because we do live in a Word world, and in particular, any firm that is electronically collaborating with other firms, uh, sending editable documents back and forth, is likely using Word to track changes function. So it really mandates Word being, I believe, the primary document generation platform firm for any firm, but I have many, many clients who continue to use and, and thrive with WordPerfect. We may be the only market segment where WordPerfect still has a strong presence, but it's a surprisingly strong presence, especially in the small firm marketplace. And there are a number of practical and functional reasons, not the least of which is so many firms have such a large inventory of WordPerfect formatted documents. It makes sense to use WordPerfect to edit those documents rather than going through the headache of conversions. But then the third part of, that, of the troika of, of document generation tools is 
some sort of PDF tool. And in my mind, I, I think it's frankly crazy to use anything other than actual Adobe Acrobat. But PDF has become kind of the lingua franca of the electronic document world. If there is a universal language, it's become PDF. And one only has to look at, at the ultimate bellwether, and that being filing in the, in the federal court system through the PACER system. PDFs, of course, are mandated. But that, that group of three, and then having a consistent approach towards uh, document organization and document appearance and a mastery of, of garden variety daily functions in those programs would be part one. Part two would be organizing all of that information. And so a document management system and frankly a document management process and attitude uh, I, I think are part of, uh, of that, that part of, of the group of four. And so that can mean actual separate dedicated document management software. Uh, in the small firm world, there, there's really only one product that, that's suitable for small firms, and that's WorldDocs from World Software. Uh, there are three other products that are larger firm focused that, that really wouldn't even make sense to mention because they would really only kick in once you're at about the 100 user points, so certainly out of the focus of, uh, of most of our listeners. But the ability then to be able to organize documents in a, in a, in a structure that's analogous to a traditional paper filing system. So simple and obvious that, that even the people that I like to finally refer to as techno-peasants in my client's office can innately understand without having to navigate through some seven levels deep Windows folder tree that confuses everyone and wastes everyone's time. But being able to organize both internally created documents and externally received documents, and then also documents that come in in paper form that are scanned and stored as searchable or accessible PDFs, but then extending that to, I think, the most critical part of, of uh, case information organization for any practice, and that's email management. I, I would dare say that, that I, I could probably bet either of you $10,000 that there isn't a single member of your audience out there who isn't buried to some degree under a massive pile of email that just conspires to waste otherwise billable time every day. You know, email that's in sort of a bottomless, you know, black pit, otherwise referred to as an inbox or sent items folder. And a document manager takes that those emails, which are really just correspondence. We should stop even thinking of them as email. They are correspondence. And all of their attachments, both sent and received, and make them part of a single, complete, and contiguous electronic case file. So that's the role the document management plays in that process. The other two parts of the process would be number Number uh, three would be the most mission-critical piece of software for any for-profit law practice, and that is uh, billing and bookkeeping systems. And so for small firms, whether it's a product like Tabs3 or PC Law or Amicus Accounting or virtually and even QuickBooks, for that matter, focused into being a billing and bookkeeping system, certainly time slips out there as well, it, it's hard to imagine uh, a, a practice that could function from a financial perspective in terms of appropriately tracking billings, no matter how a firm might be billing its clients, whether they're hourly or contingent fee or flat fee or some hybrid approach, and, and not have an automated system. Yet, amazingly, still in 2009, in my travels around the world, I occasionally do find firms that are typing up bills in, in Word or WordPerfect and, and, and using a paper ledger system. In fact, I have a client like that now who's just been doing it, and the only reason that they've been doing it for for about 30 years, and it was the classic answer, and the answer was, well, we've always done it that way. Okay, time to change. So that's number three. 
Number four is connection to the world, and that would be a combination of email and web browsing. Uh, how could we function without access to the just the treasure trove of resources and collaboration opportunities on the net today? In fact, I'm sure it's the same for both of you. I barely remember the world before the internet and wonder how, in fact, we you know, as humans managed to survive for about 10,000 years before that, obviously severely constrained in every aspect of our lives. So those are, are, are Jim, uh, what I would view the, the four core essential platforms, document generation, document slash email management, billing and bookkeeping, and a collaborative connection to the world via the net. Well, for all of those who are starting a new practice, I think you've just given them an incredible crash course there. But but let's talk about a trend that we're seeing in this economy, which is that of people who are leaving big law and then starting their own small practices. What unique challenges do you think they face, Ross? Well, I'm glad you asked that, that question, Sharon. It's something that I've been uh, giving a lot of thought to lately and I've been writing about. In fact, in a column that, that I write called Small Law for the Technolawyer Community, I wrote one earlier this year as I was exploring this trend, and I, I termed some of these people who are leaving large firms, uh, whether partners or associates or, or, frankly, even staff, either leaving voluntarily or people who have been laid off. And, and the term that I've been using for many who will have ultimately find that they have no employment choice other than to start their own practice, and typically a solo or small practice, is I've been referring to them as, as big solos. And the firm caused a little controversy in the marketplace, which I really don't understand, because in, in no way is it intended to be derogatory towards people who have always been solos, but it is intended to identify some very unique characteristics, to get to that part of your question, about these people coming from large firms suddenly finding themselves solo or small. And I think the characteristics are pretty typical. And, and I know this firsthand because I have a number of clients that I've helped uh, make that transition from big law to, to smaller law over the last nine months as our economy continues to tank. And the characteristics are this especially among people who have practiced for more than 10 years in large firms who had never been in a smaller firm practice environment before, and that is they've generally had the luxury of spending close to 100% of their time on substantive legal work with fairly small percentage of time spent on what many of us would consider law practice management or firm administrative issues. Why? Because that's been the business model in large firms, where the goal is to have, you know, the, we can sort of analogize uh, all of us in practice as sort of being like factory equipment. We produce the product, and the product are legal services and billable hours that get sold to clients. And it's in the interest in any firm of minimizing the amount of non-billable administrative time one spends and maximizing billable time. Well, in large firms, these people have had often an, an army of people to assist them in reaching that kind of goal making it possible you know, for large firm lawyers, especially associates, who have other motivations perhaps than partners and maybe ask more, uh, a different range of aspirations, to often crank out 2,200, 2,300, 2,500 billable hours per year, uh, an enormous amount of time. Well, they've gotten used to having an IT department behind them with an army of people, paralegals and legal assistants at their beck and call, firm administration to handle billing and bookkeeping issues, perhaps other partners to do business generation and, and take the rainmaking responsibilities, and a marketing department to handle extending the firm's brand and image. And so 
in many cases, many of these people haven't worn the 10 or 15 hats that a, a traditional small firm lawyer has to wear, but rather one hat. So what I'm seeing is people coming out who might have a very high level of experience and knowledge in maybe one or two substantive practice areas that they've specialized in for the last 20 years, but often come out, come out lacking some very basic knowledge of business operations, and, and sometimes even a, a real sense of what kind of, uh, of roles and hats they're going to have to play and wear in their new practices. So it's an odd dichotomy, often high level of substantive knowledge, um, sometimes Fortune, you know, Fortune 100 sophisticated multinational corporate clients and a narrow range of issues, but then on the other end, they're greatly surpassed by you know, any traditional solo out there who has had to wear all of those management and operations hats. So what I say, the distinction between big solo versus traditional solo is, is exactly that. Traditional solos often have kind of a PhD or a JD in the University of Hard Knocks, having had to learn about everything from you know, how to hire and fire employees, how to negotiate office leases, where to get the best deals on office supplies, and and you know what to negotiate in terms of Arizona mission insurance, and you know and, and how to save the maximum amount of money to to keep expenses down when doing anything from you know buying legal research services to buying technology products and office supplies, versus people who have never had to do those things, and suddenly, suddenly are faced with having to learn it all from scratch often in a matter of sometimes a couple of weeks if they're making fast decisions. Those folks need the help of law practice management and technology experts like all of us. Ross, given all of those factors in our difficult economic times, would you try and maybe talk a big law attorney out of starting their own solo practice? Well, you know, Jim, I guess what I would say is, is if you were asking me that question five years ago, the answer would have been I would have tried to take maybe sort of a tough love approach and say, are you insane? Do you know what you're getting yourself into? This is one of those grass always looks greener on the other side of things where people might be kind of entranced by the idea of being in control of their own destiny but not have any real sense of all of the administrative hassles and headaches and, and, the, and just the trials and tribulations of being a small business owner and running a business and not just being able to, to pump all of your time into billable work. But that the situation today is different, and that is I think many of these people simply will not be able to be employed as lawyers in any other situation unless they, like, like you know, to some extent all three of us, I guess, want to become recovering lawyers and do something else for a living. If they want to practice law, the, there, there's, there aren't lateral moves available in other large firms, and, and I still think that we're, we, we are absolutely seeing just the tip of the iceberg in terms of how bad the legal market is, and particularly in the larger firm and, and sort of larger mid-sized firm segment. I still think that we're going to see more firm failures. I think we're going to see many more layoffs uh, as the, the depth of the economic crisis uh, goes from people viewing it as a crisis to just becoming the new normal. I think we have a lot more adjustment here. So no, I, I really wouldn't try and talk them out of starting their own practice, but what I would do is lay a heavy dose of reality checking on them and make sure they understand exactly what it is that they're getting into. And I think, you know, not, not to be 
self-promotional necessarily on, on behalf of all three of us, but I really think our new book has, a, has an important role to play. I, I really think that it's going to help a lot of these people get an easier start than they would have otherwise. It's, it's certainly always preferable not to have to reinvent a wheel that others have painfully created before. And I think that's fundamentally what people are going to look back on our book as having accomplished, is e helping ease that transition for lawyers who are entering the ranks of small firms and for small firms, traditional small firms that are struggling and, and maybe not able to pay the bills and wondering where the next new client matter is going to come from. I, I think it's just as valuable as a basic survival mechanism that, that really many people should read, even if they're not starting a new practice. Okay, Ross, that, that was quite a series of answers to all that. I'll tell you, it, it would be something to be a big law attorney and suddenly find yourself a solo. But, but let's turn around a little bit and look at something else. One of the things I hear lawyers talking about today is how they can change and reduce the percentage of time they spend on non-billable activity and convert it to billable time. And I know you're a huge proponent of the notion that there are ways that lawyers can use technology to do exactly that. So can you tell us how you would do that? Sure, I'd be happy to, and and uh, and duly noted as to depth of answers. I'll be more 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 brief and direct on this, and and I think that there are two core ways where significant amounts of otherwise non-billable wasted administrative time can be converted into realistic billable and collectible time. I think the number one area is in the in the area of paper management. You know, for years, I suspect a number of your readers have probably read my material, material about the paperless office process. Not paperless, but paperless. And the idea of, of being able to cut the amount of time or, in some cases, eliminate the, the, the wasted non-billable time that's spent chasing around the office, either A, looking for information that can only be found in a paper file, or B, looking for the paper file itself. When I ask my, in particular, my speaking audiences, how many people feel that they waste at least 15 minutes or 30 minutes a day from a lawyer and staff perspective just looking for paper, I, I usually have people saying, yes, but more time an hour a day, two hours a day. Some days the file doesn't turn up at all. And so the mere process of applying uh, some iteration of my paper less office process typically means that firms will generate between 15 and 30 additional billable minutes per day per lawyer and sometimes 30 to 60 billable minutes per day per billable staffer, which can easily translate to anywhere from twelve dollars to $25,000 a year per lawyer, depending on their, their net realized hourly billing rates. And you can do the math and figure out what, what a, a staffer would generate as well. So that's area number one. Area number two, which I think has the potential on the upside of being even more significant, would be practice management systems. And in the small firm world, programs like uh, like Practice Master, Amicus Attorney, Time Matters, PC Law, Abacus, etc., programs that are kind of the, the kitchen sinks of the, uh, uh, of the law practice software world. Kitchen sinks in that they do everything, then track everything. But same kind of situation. How much time do you waste just chasing around the office because you can't find somebody's fax number that got scribbled down on a little post-it note? And of course, there's a rule of life that says the more urgently you need that post-it note, the less likely it is where it's supposed to be. Think about what can happen if those one-tenth of an hour entries that happen six, seven, eight, nine, ten times per day just never get wasted. And instead, they, they're recovered and turned into billable time. And even if you were conservative in your analysis and you only recovered half of that time, 
uh, or build only half of that recovery time, the financial incentive is dramatic. Now, the last point I'll make on this is with practice management in particular, it can be a risky proposition. And what I mean by that is a well-selected, well-implemented practice management system could be a virtual money machine and profit generator for your practice. On the other hand, though, the converse is also true, and that is a poorly selected, poorly implemented practice management system can be like a big hole in your office floor into which you pour otherwise billable time. So it's critical to get the processes and the approach right, but I can think of of uh, uh, no two other areas that have the potential of converting wasted time into billable time more quickly than those two. Ross, in these days of tight economy and shrunken budgets, how do you convince people that the paperless office investment is really worthwhile? Well, Jim, I, I, think, I think I may have actually answered that, and that is by doing a simple numerical analysis and applying what I refer to as legal business math, something that I suspect that when, when the three of us and, and, and many of your listeners went to law school, I would bet that most of us didn't have a single class in law school that taught us anything whatsoever about how to run a law practice as a, as a business, nor a class that taught us how to perform what, what business people would refer to as a return on investment calculation. And so my sense is this. If you could recover 15 billable minutes per day, and for a lawyer who bills $200 an hour, that that calculates out to about $12,000 a year. Well, if it's, say, it required, say, between $1,000 to $2,000 of expense to be able to put the software systems and the training and procedures in place to generate that $12,000. You're anywhere from ten dollars to $11,000 ahead in the first year and $12,000 provably ahead each year after that. So the reality is spending nothing could ultimately be the most expensive thing a small firm could do in these times. I'm, I'm going to ask you, I think, the final question of today, Ross, and that's uh, my particular question that I, that was my favorite as I kind of went through some of the things we discussed talking about. Uh, I hear a lot of lawyers asking, is it actually possible to use nothing but free software to run one's practice today? So I'd like you to answer that, and as part two, I'd like you to let the listeners know what your top five favorite free software products are that they might use to help them in this economy. Sure, sure. And it's, this is a subject that Jim and I have, have actually spoken on a number of times, that, uh, a topic called tightwad technology. And I, and I think there's, a, there's been a, a, a long-time misperception that the best software has to be expensive. And maybe that's, maybe that's a more prevalent attitude in, in larger firms and larger corporations, but it's absolutely completely false in, in its assumption that you have to pay for software for it to be good. Some of the very best products today cost absolutely nothing. And I, I would say, is it possible to use all free software? Well, it, no, it's not. And, and because I still think that, that, that at least at the operating system level, that a lawyer needs to either use some iteration of Windows, preferably, God forbid, not, not Windows Vista, but some version of, of Windows, uh, which means typically Windows XP Pro, or, or we can all have lots of hope for the forthcoming Windows 7 later this year, or the, the Mac operating system. That, that the free operating system uh, option of, of Linux just isn't practical enough and ungeeky enough, if that's a word, for average lawyer on Main Street. So you're going to at least have to pay for an operating system. But I know, 
a growing number of small firms who are using software that's part of a long-time movement called open source. And the, the definition of essentially of open source is that it's free software developed in a collaborative volunteer manner. Literally people all over the world who will collaborate and write and improve pieces of code. The single best known example of such a product is an office suite that is is file compatible with Microsoft Office called OpenOffice. And people can find information at openoffice.org. It's actually a product of, of, of Sun Microsystems, which is now part of the Oracle family of products. So big company, big resources behind it, completely free. And except for the lack of, of words track changes function, it's hard to find any fault with the suite of products that directly corresponds to Microsoft Word and Excel and PowerPoint. From an email perspective, uh, there are a broad range of free tools that, that might not rival Microsoft Outlook in its full range of capabilities, but from an email perspective, can match its capability with probably the best known free email product being a program called Thunderbird uh, from the folks that produce the popular Firefox browser. In browsers, Firefox is probably security-wise safer Internet Explorer ever has been, and it's always been free. Uh, we can look at a number of other products as well, and, and this is where we start to look at the whole world of, of cloud computing and software as a service. And simply to look at the, uh, the, the range of products available in the, in the Google repertoire. Many people, I think, just think of Google as a search engine, or maybe they use Gmail as a web-based email product. But there are dozens and dozens of products available. Google Calendars, an outsourced calendaring system that a firm, especially one perhaps with a virtual practice where everybody's working from home, but from the outside looks like a firm, can share access and still synchronize to mobile devices like smartphones, would be on my list. There's a broad range of utilities, uh, the little programs that I think sometimes fill in the gaps in an important way between the big applications. You know, things we might take for granted, but, but free calculators that surpass the Windows calculator because they run a tape. That would be a program called FreeCalc from, from Mofsoft, M-O-F-F-S-O-F-T, uh, is on all of my client systems and I use every day. You know, simple little tools that can zip and unzip files that you download, 7-Zip being very popular, screen capture tools. More and more of my clients are grabbing images from websites to incorporate into client documents or court filings. Well, Windows is pretty brain dead in that respect. You could buy a commercial product, but why when you could use an open source product like Zscreen? And so the point is, I think the answer to your question, aside from the operating system perspective, is yes. I think that as long as you didn't need words track changes, you could work for free. And for the true solos out there, you can use bookkeeping. You can use world-class bookkeeping software for free. The people that produce QuickBooks, Intuit, have what's called the Quick Start Edition, and it's completely free. It's an online version of QuickBooks for small businesses, and the only limitation is you can't have more than 20 clients that are being tracked. But otherwise, it's basic billing. And it's a basic bookkeeping system from the people who pretty much wrote the book on small business bookkeeping. And I think that rounds out kind of the core functionality that a small practice could get by with. Now, is it the best course to take? No. These aren't best-of-breed products. Could it work? Yeah, it really could for somebody with an extremely tight budget or, or no budget at all. Well... I'm afraid we have to bring this to a wrap, Ross. And, and I want to say the only problem in recording a podcast with you, Ross, is that you're always at a loss for words. 
<laughs> that's, that's always been one of my problems. I, I'm just a terrible wallflower. Thank you guys very much for having me, and, and I hope your, your, your uh, audience finds this useful. Well, it was a great wealth of information, Ross. We thank you very much for joining us. For our listeners on iTunes, I want to remind all of you that this is a part of the Suddenly Solo July 2009 edition of Law Practice Today. So you can go to that online easing for more information. And for all of our listeners, if you're interested in buying our book, which should be out in a couple of weeks, just Google the ABA web store and search for How Good Lawyers Survive Bad Times. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>